Hello, my friends. I am Dennis Gephardt, and this is Guru in Your Ear. Hello, my friends. Dennis Gebhardt here, welcoming you to this episode of Guru in Your Ear. Uh, today, I'm real happy because I have my teaching partner with me today, Max Massiano. Max, how are you? Hey, Dennis. I am fantastic. Well, that is So today, great. we're going to do something a little different today. I see oh, really? I, I got a little overzealous. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to interview you. And, oh, wow. Okay. You know, um, I want to tell our friends out in our, I almost said studio audience, our live <laughs> studio audience, out, out in our listenership, you know, uh, there is a bit of history in the world of hair color and hairdressing in general that mm. we really want to make sure doesn't get lost. Right. And there are a lot of people out there teaching some of the same messages, the same techniques mm -hmm. that have actually existed for many, many years. Right. And I've been really fortunate to be mentored by you, who you were essentially there at the beginning. Really. I know. Isn't that scary? I feel like Yoda. <laughs> right? Yes. Well, if you're Yoda, then I'm your Luke Skywalker. Because right. you know, I kind of came in in that middle part of the industry, you right. know, the the mid nineties. Yeah. So, and then there's going to be another generation, or, or there is actually another generation of hairdresser that is, you yeah. know, Did, didn't get here till the twenty twenty tens. You know, yeah. it started in the twenty tens, and some in the twenty twenties actually. So. Exactly. All right. Well, so back to the beginning before there was fire and the wheel, right? Not That's really. Right. That's not right. really. Well, look, um, I was very fortunate. I you know, I, 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 I didn't realize that I was there in the beginning because I thought I was there in the middle until sure. I had a conversation one day with Alan Edwards, who was the guy responsible for Farrah Fawcett's haircut. Those of you who are too young to know who Farrah Fawcett was. Shame on you. You probably should know her. <laughs> um, in any case, Alan and I were talking, and and I was saying, it just like, we were there in the middle. He goes, no, we weren't. We were there in the beginning, man. We were the pioneers. And as I started to think about it, he's, he's absolutely correct. Um, hair color has been done since the, well, I think it really started in the 50s is when people really started doing it as a service in the salons. Before then, you know, here far and wide it was done, but it wasn't a huge service. It really started, you know, it impacted the industry to where today it is pretty much the number one service in the salon. I mean, mm -hmm. as far as generating revenue, huge amount of revenue. And so I was really fortunate because when I started in this industry, I thought I was, I thought I was pretty accomplished at hair color after I graduated from beauty school. But I realized very quickly, thanks to my best friend's mother, that I didn't know what I thought I knew. 
And mm -hmm. so I went in search, and I was fortunate to study with someone named Sam Lappin, who many people have heard me tell the story that, you know, they may not know who Sam was or his brothers. There were five of them. There was Sam, there was Al, there was Iggy, and there was two more, which escaped me. They had a salon in Santa Monica, just outside L.A., and they had a beauty school. And so Sam was regarded as the guy who knows color because they truly did. They created law, level, and family in hair coloring. The level system really wasn't nobody. Uh, not, colors had shade names. They didn't have numbers. They had nothing to do with the level system. We knew some were blondes, some were brunettes, but there wasn't a, a system in place. Right. And when they created Lapinol hair color, they created that level system and you know, they put in place the basic laws. So I went to him and I said, look, I will work for you for free because you could do that in those days. Sure. And I worked with him for three years, followed him around from chair to chair and watched him do hair color magic. And, and he really was, the, the gentleman who turned my lights on. Um, and he told me, he said, look, you know, he, he helped me to understand how important it was to love this business that we love and how important it was to have some knowledge about what you were doing. In those days, you couldn't say, well, I don't know what it does. It just works. A lot of people did say that, but if you knew what it did, you could manipulate hair color. I mean, You've heard me tell you my first weaving formula was one part topaz, one part mungo, one part flax and blonde. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, everybody got woven with that hair, that 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 formula, because it was the way it was in this business. So right. I was fortunate enough to study with him, and um, and he really helped me tremendously. And because of him, it led me to a career with first Redken Laboratories in 1984. Uh, I joined their company. Uh, shortly before that, I was working with an Italian air color company named Fromisi. They recruited myself, uh, a lady named Charlotte Rydell, and uh, an artist named um, Michelle Young. <laughs> <laughs> so all three of us went aboard uh, Redken when they launched their first cream hair color, because they are the people who bought Lapinol color. Mm -hmm. And they changed the name to Amino color, but they were the, they bought Lapinol color. Sam sold his name. Right. And then they went to Italy and they contracted with a company called Inner Cosmos, who made cream hair color. They were one of the pioneers in Italy making cream hair color. There was only a few places where that was done. In Germany, of course, Wella was doing that. Gowa was doing that. Sure. Um, but but generally speaking, there weren't a lot of companies that were doing hair color. There were a much smaller group than there is today. And at that time, Dennis, is this correct? That cream color was still pretty new. Oh, it was. To it the was. Because everything was dominated by liquid. It was like Clairol, Wella Color Charm. And Lathanol, really, those were the big three. Right, right. In fact, Wella tried to launch their cream color here before cream color became popular, 
and it did was not successful. And so right. they pulled it back. And then they relaunched in the 80s because in the 80s is when it was the invasion of the cream hair color into our market. Sure. The fact sure. that nobody uses liquid hair color, liquid hair color, it's higher in ammonia, blah, 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 blah. All of that. Those are those were all the sales pitches. Of course. And so so and, so marketing existed yeah. even back then. You bet. You bet. So and so, so Dennis, I, I wanna um kind of tune you back into those days with Mr. Lappin, um, because I know this because you taught me that right. or you told me this, but he's the one who taught you how to do die outs. He did. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that story? Well, his dials were done on just hair that he had, hair that he found, things like that. But he dyed out every color before he used it. He knew every shade. Uh, he had all the, and I wish I had them now, all of the dials he'd used to make their color. Remember, they didn't have the same laboratory facilities that we have today in 2023. In order to measure levels and things like that, he created they created a system called pigment weight. We teach that. Of course, he gave that to me to teach after before he passed away. And it's not a physical thing. It's a visual thing because they didn't have a Hunter spectrophotometer then. Right. They had to use a mathematical equation, and that's what they used. And, and so... That's what he used for die. He always had die outs going. He had a little cardboard box that he would carry around with different die outs that he had put white tape on and really? wrote the left. Yeah. It was very was very rudimental. So then where did the the die outs on the white fabric originate from? Well, we started doing that when we didn't have hair. <laughs> ah. Okay. He told me, he said, you can, you die, all the die out is supposed to do is to show you what's in the color visually. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that they measured the things that were in their color. And he said, you can do a die out on, you could do it on paper if you wished, or, or you can do it on a piece of cotton or hair. The difference on white cotton was that it showed you the true color. Interesting. And so that's the way that we basically did die outs, even in the salon. I mean, he would literally make color. He'd go back to the back and make color and use it to color someone's hair. It was pretty wild and crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But so, they were the they were the pioneers. Right. And all of us in that era learned from them or some of their counterparts. Like when I worked to work for Redken, Redken had, um, they had worked with Sam because they bought, they bought um, Lapinol color. Mm -hmm. But the main trainers for them were uh, a woman named Anita Scherzer and um, Barbara and Jean Crane were the mentors for hair color that took some of the other educators that did not have the same connection with Sam and trained them on what Sam trained them on. So it was sort of like passed down. Right. And that that's and, the way it began. I mean. And this was in the era where Redken 
you know, was still super science focused, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, there was only there was only three or four companies that were really even relevant at that time. There was Redken, there was Matrix, and there was Sebastian. Hmm. And you know, of course, Clairol was always there. L'Oreal was never there because L'Oreal was made main focus was retail. It wasn't professional in the US. Right. right. They made their mark in 1996 when they per, or 1993 when they purchased Redken. That right. was their big intro, introduction into the professional market in the United States. So in those days, we we still had. I mean, at Redken, we had a test laboratory where we tested on swatches, we tested on live models, and at Redken, I got even more refinement because when I left Sam, I went back to school. So I attended the University of California, Long Beach, and my main focus was in chemistry. So I got my degree in chemistry. Uh, That led me to a career with Redken, and I worked as an educator, but I also worked in the product development department with two amazing human beings, one named uh, Bill Baylor, Dr. Bill Baylor, and the other one is Dr. Hayal Saeed. Of course, we were the three people that were part of the creation of Shade GQ and wow. Shade GQ lightning crystals and Redken color gels. So, and they refined my education even more because there were things like I assumed how hair color worked. And then they showed me how it really works. And it was a great learning curve for me. And we have, uh, Dr. Saeed and I have maintained a relationship since then. And that was, well, let's see, he resigned from Redken in 1993 before they moved to New York City. He chose Mm -hmm. not to go with them to New York. So 96, 2006, 2016, it's been over 30 years, 30, 35 years. He's still very active. Even though he's retired, he's still active in certain segments of our industry, uh, but amazing human being. Taught me a lot. And, and some amazing products he helped develop even after Redken, because I know that oh, he, did. He, he helped create Magma for Wella. He did. He and, then, and, and you know where the, you know where the, that original testing came from, right? It came from Redken. Because we really? were trying to, right, we were trying to compete against um, Farouk's company. Sunglitz. Sunglitz, right. And, and so just... we were we were using these powdered direct dyes in the bleach, and these dyes would develop a life of their own. I mean, the reds would become really red. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we thought, nah, this is too much out of control. Someone who doesn't know what they're doing won't won't know how to control this. So we right. chose to not to put any kind of coloration in Shade GQ lightning, lightning powder. We just uh, used it plain and simple. We did adjust the way you formulated it based upon how much lightning you wanted to create. Right. You had little and lift, you had moderate lift, and you had a lot of lift. A lot of lift. <laughs> um, and just, just a little side note too, speaking of Farouk, didn't you work with Farouk Shami at, at Framisi? Yes, we yeah. did. Yes, we so did. What a 
what a small small world yeah it's like the what's it called the five 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 phases or five six people degrees you're of separation yeah or something six like degrees that. of yeah. separation something like that so that was uh that was how it started you know wow. i mean redkin was the leader they started it matrix you know was you know right there trying to stay with it because there was a a, a friendly competition mm -hmm. between Paula Kent, Meehan, and between um, Arnie. Miller, Arnie Miller. Arnie Miller. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, those were amazing days. Yeah. Those yeah. were amazing days. So, friends, you know, uh, when you go on Instagram and you see people <laughs> dying colors out on uh, muslin strips, cotton pads paper towel whatever just remember that originated somewhere right and that was from truly the godfather of hair color absolutely sam lappin yeah i and, think um yeah. i think a lot of things that we struggle with in this industry is that we we're in more of a me a me industry rather than a we industry. Sure. And what I mean by that is that some people learn and they pass it on. Mm -hmm. And then the people who pass it on sometimes don't you know, tell people the genesis of it, where it came from. Sure. And as a result sure. of that, it changes the lineage or the history. Yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of like, it's the same thing. Like if, you know, people today, they use Shady Q to fill hair. That's what I brought to Redkin, and Redkin told me I couldn't do it. They said, you wow. can't fill hair with Shady Q. And I said, I can. They said, well, then you're going to come to Canoga Park, and you're going to do it. And the one person they wanted me to do it on was Anita Scherzer, who was the, she was the big boss. Right, right. And so she said, I want you to take me back to Brunette. So I filled her with shades EQ, colored over it. It looked beautiful. From that moment forward, they started teaching that you could fill the hair with shades EQ. Amazing. I mean, that's just where those things came from. It's like sure. Anita Scherzer's husband, right? He, they were sitting at the pool one day. Miami Beach, I think that's how the story goes. I think they were at the Fountain Blue Hotel or somewhere. And he saw these women in bathing caps. He said, well, I wonder what would happen if you put holes in that bathing cap and pulled hair through it and lightened it. And that's really how the frosting cap was created. That is nuts. Yeah. So all of those things, all of those things yeah. happen. Uh, and... And it's just, it's part of the story yeah. where we came from. I mean, if you think about it, when Sam was doing color originally, they didn't have uh, what they call control dye bases. A control dye base means that a level seven is a level seven. It can never be darker than a level seven. But now it can look darker if you paint, a, paint porous hair, but it, it, it's a controlled eye base. There's only so much depth in that color. And so they used to take Lux flakes 
box flakes, detergent, and ammonia, mix up a paste and apply it to the hair and pre-lighten the hair. Didn't they call that like a French fluff or a champagne I, cocktail or something I think like that? Something like that. And then they would, after that, they'd wash it off and then they would apply a progressive dye over the hair and it would gradually get darker, get darker, get darker. And then they would take it off when it reached the level that they wanted it to be. Gosh. Sam used to always laugh and say, it's okay the first time because you're going to the level you want. The hard to part is the second time. <laughs> trying to lighten it to the right level and then bring it back down to the right level. Wow. So try try retouching like that. Yeah. That was probably a real art. Right. But in those days, we still were able to fill hair. We were still able to refresh the mid-lengths and the ends. We were able to lighten hair without breaking the hair. I mean, some people did break the hair. Sam used to always say, he said, it's a terrible thing to go through, he said, but I wish you the opportunity to see that happen in front of your own eyes so that you can have respect for the chemicals that you work with. Wow. Sometimes that's what it takes for someone to go, holy mackerel, I'm using dynamite on this person's head. <laughs> <clears throat> but that's how, that's how we started. And then, of course, you know, filler-all shampoos were hugely popular. Mm -hmm. um, and those are nothing more than direct dyes in a shampoo base. That's all they so, are. So direct dyes are not anything new. Right. We've used them for years. I mean, pigmented shampoos and conditioners have been around. Absolutely. Well, yeah. if you went to beauty school and you used Rue Rinse, <laughs> that's what yep. you were using. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had filler-alls still in my beauty school and people are yeah. like oh those are really old and i remember just using them and going these are amazing oh yeah absolutely look we used to take white minks right that's a rue color mm -hmm. and we used to put it in a water solution so it was already in a liquid solution but we diluted a little bit more mm -hmm. we would literally spray that into the hair and then dry the hair blow dry the hair yeah with the white minks in it just yeah. enhance it because those were all direct dyes they were all food you know food grade dyes so they were yeah. they were not really harmful i mean i wouldn't drink them but they weren't yeah. really harmful but that's how our history began pioneers like you know like sam lapin um led to people in my generation people like uh um leland hirsch mm -hmm. uh beth minardi Sure. Uh, Roy Peters, my teaching partner for quite some time. You know, I, I, you just go down the list, you know. Um, uh, the woman from from Misi, she's from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I remember her name. And people like Michelle Young. Michelle Young was amazing sure. on stage, you know. Um, she did crazy stuff, you know, but it was okay. <laughs> it was okay right. but we we you know that was the pioneers we were helping hairdressers understand you know how to be successful working with hair color kitty right. victor oh my god how could i forget her kitty yeah. victor all of those people that were very very prevalent in what we did and of course let's not forget the the vidal sassoon team you know mm. 
Yes. Let's not forget those people. And let's not forget Jerry Cosenza and the people at Sebastian who had color cellophanes, which was direct eye again. Yeah. But, but they'd, they'd cook it right into the hair, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it was, those were amazing days because they were filled with high energy, uh, strong, great passion for this business. And they were creating some of those looks and some of those techniques they created then. They're not new. And and I discovered this in our industry, and I think it's that way in all fashion-type businesses. Everything goes in a circle. Right. Sure. You know, it's sure. Like it, it's in, I, then it's out. Then it's in, <laughs> then it's out. Well. It, when it comes back, it's evolved. It's evolved, you know? yes. Evolution. Say. It's we evolved, hope. you know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and it's it's an interesting thing because, like, if you really look at uh, our industry, there's there's not a lot of people that have a lot of original ideas, and right. I don't mean that in a bad way. No. But like, let's let's talk. Take it take it back to 1908. Eugene Schweller. The man who invented hair color. Yep. That blueprint or that model is still used today. They, they have not found any more effective way to oxidatively color hair right. other than having an alkalizer, precursors, couplers, and developer. And there's they, a reason for that, you know, right? Tell me. What hasn't changed? What hasn't changed? The hair. The material. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole thing. People go, well, aren't you using better technology? Well, I think maybe we might have gotten lucky in the beginning, right? We may have discovered yeah. that we knew acids and alkalis, and this is a way we could affect this material. You know, and sometimes that's that's just as simple as it is. Right. We've gotten more clever marketing people over the years is really what it is. Oh, well, yes, right? because I think it's in our nature to always look for the newest and the next biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And we're always looking for something that makes our job easier. And um, I just did a podcast with Anthony Persoto, uh, lesson number six, which is called Flexibility and Adaptability. And um, and I'm sorry, lesson number five, which is called Perseverance. <laughs> mm -hmm. And in that, I read a quote from Bruce Lee, who says, do not wish for an easier life. Wish that you have more capabilities to handle anything life gives you. So for us, we're always looking something to make it easier. Wouldn't it be better if we learned how to handle those challenges with what we have, instead of looking for something to make our job easier. Because that's the skill set. Hair color itself does not do all the work. It's the person. And 90% yeah. of the problem with hair color, you know this, is user error. Always. Has nothing to Always. do with the hair color has nothing yeah. to do with it 
you know, if you choose the wrong hair color, you'll get a result you didn't expect. If you choose the wrong developer, you'll get a result you didn't expect. I mean, you go right down. (laughs) But to say that product doesn't work. Oh, I know. Hair color will do what it's supposed to do every time. You're right. Or they say, it doesn't work for me. And I kind of go, wow, they singled you out. Of all the people on earth, you are the one person that can't, for whatever reason, that color doesn't perform for you. But I think Too that's the nature funny. of our industry. We try, and and I really I attribute the the blame for that to the manufacturers and to our schools. Schools, not so much because they do have to fulfill a curriculum in order to help people pass an exam. But manufacturers, really, they they play on a person's lack of knowledge. And in our industry, there is nothing required to be to validate the scientific story of these products. There's no lab tests that are required. Right. See, Redken used to always issue out once a month a RIC report. Now, a RIC report was a scientific breakdown of our products, what makes them effective. And as as an educator or as just simply a user, you would get those RIC reports and they, they would give you that scientific foundation. I mean, think about it. Redken had the first where you could actually see partially inside the hair strand. Right. They had a way of testing for the hair's tensile strength. They they had all of these mechanisms available to salons. I was just going to say, they, they actually made this equipment that they like did, a yes. trichoscope. Trichoscope, yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they kind of made trichology sexy. Oh, they did. That's why USC, you know? USC added a special class in their curriculum was on trichology. And so many people went to those courses and took trichology so they could understand the hair. Yes, after all, it is the medium that we all work on. It is our canvas. Yes, indeed. So, well, it, it was a pretty amazing time. Lots of stories to share. Maybe we'll do it again in another podcast. Absolutely, Dennis. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom. Well, thanks and for letting me. Memories. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me share. I mean, you know, I don't often get to do that, and um, and you know, I I just think it was an amazing time for our industry because we were all learning. Everyone was learning, and uh, it's like I tell young hairdressers today. I say we did not have YouTube. We didn't have right. the internet. We would go Wednesday night to somebody's salon to learn, to watch them. We go Friday night to somebody else's salon. It was a huge learning period for our industry. And I just thought it was amazing. And people really were striving 
to know more. And, and what really I find makes me hopeful, because you know, shortly before Sam passed away, I went to spend some time with him. And um, he said to me, he said, I want you to make me a promise, because he knew that he was in the final steps. I want you to promise me that you will do everything you can every day that you have an opportunity to leave this industry in a better place than it was when you got here. I want you to promise me you'll do that. And I said, I do. And I do that every day. Uh, I try to leave it in a better place. And so I'm hopeful today because we went through a period where people said, well, you don't need to know that much. And and I agree creativity is part of it. And I, and I do disagree that science is not creative. It is very creative. <laughs> but Absolutely. Uh, I would agree that in our industry, we think of creativity as how you put the foils in the hair and all of these other things, which that's fine. But I always say, read a book. Read a read Pablo Picasso's um, autobiography, right? Because in his book he says, "Well, his statement, which I've used in my book, uh, says without foundation you have no wings." What that means is, if you don't understand the material you work on, and you don't understand the products that you're using, then creativity is going to escape you. Because you don't have those basic foundations to help you get there. I mean, you can't fly without understanding a little bit about gravity. <laughs> you can ask the Wright brothers. <laughs> exactly. You know, because because it, that's what it is in this industry. Yeah, I don't expect anybody to be a chem head, if you will. But sure. I just kind of understand what you're doing, have respect for the products that you use. And knowledge is so important in this industry because I find that when someone has knowledge, they have confidence. When they have confidence, they're willing to tackle pretty much any kind of a challenge that they encounter. And that's what you want to do because sometimes we're not confident in this business. Sometimes we have that self-sabotage going on in our head. Like, you're not good enough. You can't do this. You don't know what you're doing, you know, all of these kinds of things, instead of saying, no, I, I'm good. I'm good. Right. So, all right. Well, look, uh, thanks for interviewing me today. I appreciate that. My pleasure. My Maybe pleasure. we'll come back and do another one. Um, I hope so. I want to invite everybody listening to uh, contact us. You know, we ask our audience to reach out to us and let us know if you are you enjoying the podcast is there a podcast you might be interested in that we could do for you? Um, we have been uh, very blessed to have our audience growing along here on our podcast. And so uh, we want to give you the things that you need. But you can reach out to Max or I. You can find Max on Instagram at Max M. Hare. You can find me at Real Captain Color. And uh, if you go into either one of our bios link tree page, you'll find an access to our website where you can access the classes we offer and you can access the various platforms that we that our podcast is broadcast on. We are currently on five platforms. 
The three I mention most often are Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor.fm. But there are other ones as well. We're also on Google. I'm sorry. Google's important as well. Uh, So you can reach out to us there. Uh, I suggest you subscribe to our podcast. That way you never miss an episode because you get notification when a new podcast drops. And that'll make you keep you in tune and in touch with us. If you're enjoying it, please let us know. Also, please share it with your friends if you found this information beneficial. So until I talk to you again, until Max talks to you again, I am Captain Color. Max, thank you, my friend, for joining me today. We wish you all happy coloring. Have an amazing day. The preceding broadcast was a production of Guru Nation, a non-branded educational resource for salon professionals around the world. We'll be right back.